Hey, hey, this is Takara, and you are listening to A Letter to My Sister podcast. You are in the right place if you are raised to be a strong, independent woman who didn't have to depend on anybody for anything, but then you realize there were some lessons that you didn't quite get as you were going along the way. We often go through life the best way that we know how, and we don't even realize that there's a better way. So in here, there will be some raw and real conversations surrounding life lessons about the things that we wish that we had known, maybe about self, love, money, and even our careers. So if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would love for you to leave a rating and review as well. So now that we've got all that out the way, let's chat, sis. Hey, sis, we are back to our regularly scheduled program. I hope that you all had a very fantastic Thanksgiving filled with lots of fun, laughs, family, friends, and all of those good things. Today, we are talking about relationships, but not romantic relationships. We're talking about parental relationships and boundaries. This is not a conversation that takes place very often, so I figured today would be a good day to talk about it because maybe during the holidays you came across some of these boundaries or maybe you even broached some of these topics. And so I brought Diana with me today so that she could talk to us about the transitioning relationships of a child and a parent and boundaries and how we can navigate the waters of those conversations. So listen up. Hello, Diana. Welcome to A Letter to My Sister podcast. I am so glad to have you here today and just to jump right in. How do you define a healthy relationship with self? First of all, it's always you need to include yourself. And I find that a lot of women do not. It's always outward bound, giving out love to others without including themselves, setting boundaries for themselves, healthy boundaries, and finding a way to actually communicate what you need from others as well as yourself and putting yourself on the list. We're always helping other people, so it does need to have us on the list. And I found that with myself as well. And finding a voice, speaking up for yourself. Those are some of the things that I think are healthy boundaries and healthy relationship with yourself. Okay. So I wanted to go back. Do you think as far as healthy boundaries and voice, do you think the two kind of coincide together? Because even as I feel like I'm kind of in this transition phase just for me elevating from one level to the next, I do find that I am using my voice a lot more. And then in coming with using my voice, I'm also using my voice to start enforcing boundaries that maybe I did not enforce in the first place. Absolutely. I think that we grow. And as we grow, the boundaries change. Um, And with that, we have to stand up for ourselves and voice our opinions. 
and it's not easy all the time. Mm -hmm. And the other (laughs) side is not happy with it sometimes, but we have to do that. But I've also found that if you are not setting your boundaries, there are boundaries within this relationship, whatever relationship, and you're either going with their boundaries or yours. So I believe that how small or how big your boundaries are, you need to find your voice and set those boundaries as well. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And it seems like the more you speak up, the more you you actively practice putting those boundaries into place. Either people fall in line or if they don't, it's it seems like it gets easier because I don't know why, but sometimes we seem a little timid to tell people, you know, this really rubs me the wrong way or I feel this particular way when you do this or do that. And then we're uncomfortable. And I read a quote and I think it said something to the effect of, be careful of trying to keep the peace inside when there's a war inside. And I was like, I think that correlates so perfectly with the boundaries because we're so busy trying to keep the peace with everyone else. And then we're just super uncomfortable on the inside. Absolutely. And if we're not saying something, then we're not being true to ourselves. And if they have a problem with it, you you grow and know that maybe that's not the real right relationship for you. That's a good point. Okay. So in going that and in talking about the transitions, transitionings from childhood. So kind of what I alluded to earlier, our parents, they, they mold us, they watch us, they give us all of these instructions. We grow up, we move out of the house And then it's like, as your parents age, it's almost like a role reversal. Absolutely. So with you, I'm wondering, how have you navigated this transition with your parents? I have seen kind of like what you were saying is we start that transition at a very early age. If you think about it, a child's first words are no. So in that, we're telling them already that we have a voice. Mm -hmm. They might not like it, but we have a voice. And then as we go into high school, we're having other words and they're having to transition with us as far as giving us a little bit more rope, letting us get out a little bit more without them. Mm -hmm. Then you go on to college and you're basically on your own within them, you know, you coming home and having time with them. But for the most part, you are doing you, right? And then (laughs) you have the adult that they still, your parents still want to say and have you do exactly what it is that they said, because they, at that point, think that they still know better than we do, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so there again, you have to find your voice and set those boundaries and let them know that this is exactly what I want to do. I'm just sharing with you on what it is that I want to do. I'm sometimes you're looking for feedback. Sometimes you're not. And then as you grow even more within that, they start seeing a new person because you've developed into a young lady that 
is making all of their decisions and some of them they're going to like or want to pull you back because they're not comfortable with some of the things you're doing. I find there's there's kind of, I don't know, two, two ends of the spectrum. So in one sense, you may have a person who grew up under a very strict household where they just could not do anything practically whatsoever. And then once they get out of the house, they are just wild and free and happy, happy <laughs> to be gone. But at the same time, it's like, even though they're gone, it's like the parent still has a very strong hold on them. Like maybe, um, scheduling classes for college or checking on, I've even heard of some where they were checking to make sure that they still ate breakfast or they didn't like the fact that they were eating ice cream for breakfast or, you know, something like that. <laughs> so it's like, how, how does one, how does, okay, let's do it this way. How does a young adult voice this to their parent? Like we'll start with the young adult first and then maybe transition as we get older, as far as setting those boundaries or even just kind of having that discussion with our parents? Well, absolutely. And sometimes it's not sharing that you had ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's just doing you and letting them mold to what you're going through. And the less that you share, and it's different for every relationship. So there's, like you said, the one that is in control of everything. And sometimes they have it that way so that they can. So they're paying for your college. So they assume that they can know when you're coming in and know when you're leaving, know what you're eating and all of that. They're trying to be involved with you. Mm -hmm. So give them enough to be involved in that, letting them know that you still care. But some of the things you don't need to share with them on that matter um, when it's all said and done, most of the time parents are just trying to be loving and be involved in their child's life. And then sometimes they just want to take over. And, and in that case, you do have to limit what you're saying. Um, as you see in college, they don't send the report cards home to the parents Right. It's all yours. Mm -hmm. So you also have to be okay with the consequences that if you're not sharing and you're not making those grades, then they have the option because you are under their roof as far as finances go, that you might get cut off or they might be mad, but you have to be okay because you're citing that you're the adult and you have to be okay with either way. So it's a fine line, I believe in that instance. And I I was reading this book called Boundaries. I, I don't remember the name of the author. He escapes me at, well, both of them, they escape me at the moment. But I do remember them saying that that's a big part about boundaries as well is that you don't necessarily have to be overbearing with the boundaries that you put in place. But on one end, the person has to be willing to accept the consequences. And on the other end, you have to follow through with whatever you said that your boundary was. So you can't say, well, this is my boundary and then continue to accept because then they're like, oh, well, they're flexible with their boundary. This isn't like a hard set in stone boundary. This is a soft one. Absolutely. They will take it and run again. Like I said, if you don't have your boundaries in place, 
most of the time they do. There's always somebody <laughs> in the relationship that's mm -hmm. a little bit more dominant. And when you don't have them set in stone, they feel it, they see it, and they will run with it. So you do have to set your boundaries and stand with it. If you have to close your eyes and say it and then wait for the response, or if you have to <laughs> say those boundaries and say no and that you have to get off the phone, then you've got to say it and then be okay with the silence, the madness, or them in shock that you actually had a voice. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's what they're, they're in shock about is that you actually said something that they weren't expecting you to say, and that is okay. It's actually very good for you and them. Yeah, I think that's the key point too, where you said we have to be okay with the silence. Sometimes we don't give people enough time to actually begin to marinate on whatever we said. And because there's too much silence, then we start talking again and saying something else. Or, oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I didn't, but I'm going to let us sit in this silence so that we can kind of get through this together. Yes. And I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but you're right. We're mm -hmm. going to sit in this until you accept it. I'm not changing <laughs> exactly. what I had to say. I'm not changing. This is it. It's a firm no. Then in moving on, we'll, we'll just call it a little later. Yeah, I'll just okay. say a little later adulthood. I don't want to give an age range per se because it affects 20s, 30s, maybe even 40s. But in that transition, when you begin to have children, because another thing that I've noticed is that it seems that those that are having children now are a lot more health conscious. And so they want to make their own baby food exclusively breastfeed and do all those things. Whereas the parent may have been like, put some rice in that baby's milk so they can just sleep overnight. <laughs> just get the bottle and, and be done. So how does one then start to express those things? Because I've heard many instances where the parent did not follow the wishes of this new parent because they feel that their method was better and I'm just going to continue to stick with putting the cereal in the, in the baby's milk or giving them formula over the um, the breastfeeding per se that the, that the new parents wanted. Absolutely. Or they end up saying, um, let that baby cry. Yes. You know? mm -hmm. Or that baby's not supposed to be sleeping in your bed or whatever it is. But Again, you need to let them know that this is your child and this is how you're going to raise them and that you've decided on um, you're okay making the food for them. It's not a, a hassle for you and that you've made time in your schedule for that and this is the way that you want to raise this child and letting them cry out isn't the way I want to raise my kid. Yes. They'll all turn out very wonderful. However, this is the way I've decided. But what I was also going to say is you always have to remember that they raised their kid, which was you, the way they wanted to. So you have to be okay with mm -hmm. raising yours. They didn't go and ask anybody else. And if they did, that was on them. You are doing it for yourself. So you also have to remember that 
that's always what I remembered when I was raising my kids is they did it this way and that was okay, but I'm going to choose to do it this way and it's okay for me to say it. And they'll stop and think. And most of the time they move on because you're not changing it. Nobody can tell you, don't go make that breakfast for that child because you're going to. Mm-hmm. You are going to have a firm. I know that this is what I want to do and you're going to do it. What's another one that I often hear with the transitioning as well? Well, I guess just being older now. So now if you have parents that start to have health issues or they're getting older and maybe you start to get nervous about them living at home by themselves and those things, how does one then start to navigate the difference in that relationship because I feel like this one is probably the most difficult to navigate or this I I feel like this one might be the most difficult transition because now it's like the child is becoming the parent to the parent and that's sometimes hard to do (laughs) yes what do they say once a child once an adult twice a child Mm -hmm. so um, you are having to do that and actually I'm watching it but they still want to be independent and they are going to be fighting you on the opposite side (laughs) of wanting to have things their way and the way they used to do it. And so um, stepping lightly with it a little at a time, being nice, taking and trying to help them as opposed to enforcing all of your rules on them at that time. So maybe it's helping them with their checkbook or helping somebody get somebody to come in and clean for them. And it's on the delivery, I think, on how you get through uh, with your parents on that, letting them know that you're there to help them and not take away all of their, their self, what do you call it? Not taking away their security. Hmm. I get that. There's another word that I had in my head too, but then I, of course, I blanked out on it. And then my nursing mind went to like activities of daily living, but that's really not what I wanted to say either. Mm-hmm. But like their self-sufficiency, maybe that's a better word yeah. to say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but so going back to the checkbook, because this is funny to me, me being in my late thirties, I still have a checkbook, mm-hmm. but those And most my age don't have a checkbook. Those younger than me certainly don't have a checkbook. And they're like, for why? Why would you have a checkbook anyway? And even with me just dealing with the relationship with my own parents, just the transition of trying to get them to use technology to make payments is difficult sometimes because... They're like, well, well, I can just write a check or I can send this or I can send that. I'm like, well, now you can you can cash app, you can PayPal, you can Venmo, you can Zelle, you can you can call it in. And they're like, no, 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 I, I don't I don't want to do that. And then it's like sometimes you it's almost like you spin your wheels trying to get them to use this uh, this piece of technology known as a cell phone for all of your things. And half the time they're like, well. Who wants to be attached to a phone anyway? Right. And our phones are now, our computers, our 
checking accounts, our savings accounts, our lift, our, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So the thing that I found is when you do get them to embrace those things, you also have the fact of now they're having to remember all of these different passwords, all of the passwords on trying to navigate this system. So you do have to set up a different thing, which would be you're trying to help them navigate those passwords. So you're going to have to have something written down that has their passwords too, because they're going to be calling you, which is the same thing that you would do with your newly teenager that is going through and getting a new phone. And actually it's going earlier that they're getting, you know, third graders and second graders have these nice phones now too. So you're having to do the same kind of a thing for them. Yeah. And, and that's surprising to me too. And I, I think that it's kind of because I'm kind of on the the back end of the technology per se, like AOL came out when I was in high in high school. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in it, but I'm not all the way in it. And I certainly did not know anything about operating anybody's computer at the age of five. But then for my younger siblings, they could run circles around. It's like they, it's almost like they come out of the womb knowing how to operate a, a cell phone because I was surprised by the amount of selfies that ends up in my phone sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how do you even know how to operate this or how to to even get here? So I, I think that is the number one thing that I find very interesting, especially about the children growing up today is they are so heavily ingrained in technology. They don't even know what it's like not to have it. Yep. They're doing PowerPoint presentations in first and second grade. Wow. Yeah. See, I don't have kids, so I didn't know. Yes, they are. They are doing that. And, you know, you don't really think you're old, but they end up showing you how to do the social media, you know? Yeah. They mm -hmm. show you how to do, oh, let me show you how. Okay. Then, you know, that's the transition as well. You have to sit back and let them teach you how to do some of the things that, you don't know how to do, but you're still teaching them too. So that hasn't changed. So I have uh, the transitioning part that my two kids are in college now. Yikes. So I have to see the same thing of making sure I'm not caring that they're eating dessert for breakfast. Because sometimes you just have to have <laughs> dessert for breakfast, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I've had cake plenty of times for breakfast. <laughs> As I tell my kids, as long as you don't do it every day, but a pancake is the same thing as a piece of cake. Yeah. just it. I mean, it's just as sweet. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so then the other question that I was going to ask, because maybe, maybe you have experienced this in your practice, is there a difference in the transitioning from parent to child when it is like a single... I don't want to say single, when it is an only child dynamic versus a multiple sibling dynamic. Have you noticed or have you seen a difference in that? Because I, I kind of feel like the transition might be a little bit different because even I've discussed it with one of my cousins before because both of us, depending on, well, for me, depending on which parent you ask, 
I'm an only child to to one of my parents. So I know that if that time were to come, that sole responsibility would lie on me versus with my other parent, the responsibility would lie on me plus other siblings. So you kind of get to delve the wealth around there, if you will. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to share. As a single person or a single child, you would definitely bear the blunt of everything. That would be the caregiving. That would be um, making sure that they're okay, as opposed to having a sibling or multiple siblings, you can divvy that up. Financially, you can divvy that up. Emotionally, you have somebody to run by something and let them know that this is what's going on with the parent. What do you think that we should do? As well as going up and do the welfare checks and making sure that they're okay and that, do you remember um, dad's password to this? Do you remember <laughs> what dad said that the last time? Do you think that, you know, we need to go and get him checked? And if it's just one person, it's all lying on you. That is a lot. It's heavy, I believe. It's heavy when you have siblings and it's even heavier when you're doing it, navigating it on your own. So how do you begin to have that discussion? So whether you're an only child or you and all of your siblings, do you find that there's a better time to ask? I feel like sometimes we ask a little bit too late as far as maybe what our parents would want us to do or how we navigate that transition. And it's almost like we're bombarding them all of a sudden because now time may be of the essence and what needs to happen versus, I don't know, maybe kind of having the conversation little by little, piece by piece, so that it kind of becomes a norm versus a shock. Right. And I believe a lot of times the parents really don't want to talk about that because they are trying to be in control. So it is good to have little bits and pieces. What do you think about this? What do you think um, you'd want to do about your checking account? Do you think that maybe you wouldn't mind me being on your checking account? Not to do anything, but just in case you need a little bit of help. That way you're able to see if they are spending or being there's fraud out there or anything like that. You'd be able to see those kind of things if you are injecting yourself a little. They're not going to let you take over everything right away, but a little mm -hmm. here and there. And I believe that there are other family members, their children, that they have different relationships with. Does that make sense? Yes, that does. So mm -hmm. One's the mom, one's the, you know, this is the way it's going to be, the heavy hitter, you know. <laughs> yes, is that you? That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and they accept it. So um, that's a benefit of having multiple people helping. But then again, when you are an only child, maybe their, their sibling would be able to help you with that. Their sister might be able to help you calm your mom down or, you know, which is, would be her sister mm -hmm. down. So you have to call in all your resources, but I think a little at a time and they're not going to, what I've seen, they don't really want to talk about everything, but then 
it also is that they've had everything like my dad and my mom both have everything together and they actually tell you exactly what it is. I have this, this is the executor, this is what happens if this happens. So that's nice. So you don't have to worry about it. You still worried, but at least, you know, they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Yes. So that's good too. Okay. So then that brings me to my next question. And that is what are some of the boundaries that we can put in place as we start to navigate these transitions as, as we go from, I guess, parent to child to now child being the parents, or if the parent is still trying to tell you, this is what to do. 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 And then you're like, just let me live. (laughs) Absolutely. You're right. It is all about your boundaries And sometimes you have to come in knowing that whatever it is that you're sharing, you need to, in your mind, know that I, mom or dad, sister, I am telling you just to include you. I've already made up my mind. So whatever they have to say is just extra. Then you can also go into it saying, I've, I've decided I want to do this. I don't really know what it looks like. What do you think? That opens up the door for them to tell you what they think. Mm-hmm. You take what you want from it and leave the rest. That is always your option on taking that and leaving the rest. And if they get mad on you doing exactly what it is that you want to do or only taking some of it or leaving it all on the table that they said, mm-hmm. That's a consequence that you get to have as well. And when I say consequence means you're owning it and you're going to go with whatever it is that you decided you're going to go with and you have to live with the consequences. Either it's good, bad, or in the middle, but you're okay. And you have to be okay with whatever it is. And if they're mad that you're not giving them, that's again what we said before, too bad. You have to be okay with them being mad. Yes. Be okay with the silence, as you said earlier. Be okay with the silence. Yes. Yes. And some of them are going to, I told you, this is what I want you to do, all of those things too. So sometimes it won't be silence, but it is what you want to do. So you just have to effectively communicate with them and let them know this is what I'm going to do. This is what I've decided. And you have raised an independent person and I'm going to show you how well I can do it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So basically coming back to the parents saying, trust in how well you raised me that I'm able to, you know, make the decisions from everything that you have instilled in me growing up, up until this point. Right. And most part if it's a healthy relationship, that's all the parent wants is one, to be included and two, to know that you're okay, no matter what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So that's from being a parent and watching the other thing. Yes. They'd like you to continue being, letting them tell you exactly what to do. However, they do like to look back and say, Oh, okay, they've got it. And the only way they're going to be able to see that is if you take the the wheel. 
you got to start driving. Yes. We've got the license now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You are in charge. Take the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's kind of a, a random thought that I had. And I think this is mainly on us daughters that, that tend to do that, but a lot of people pleasing and we want to, we want to please our parents. So we break our backs trying to do everything that we can, because we know this is the thing that they would want us to do. But then we get to a point where we know that whatever this thing is, is either completely against their values even. And we'll just say whether it was someone they decided to date or even choosing a different religion or, or choosing how you decide to experience religion. How does one then kind of navigate that when you're battling against yourself already for people pleasing, but then you're also still trying to set that boundary so that the parent understands? Absolutely. And this is coming from a former people, people pleaser. <laughs> so what I found is you definitely have to live, including yourself. So we run around as people pleasers, trying to make other people happy, com- comfortable. And we look around and we're not doing exactly for ourselves. We're not watching out for ourselves. So with your religion, you have to live that every single day. And what makes you happy is the best thing. Your mom, your dad, your siblings have all got to choose exactly what they wanted to do. So now it is your time. You're not here to make everybody feel comfortable and live exactly the way they want you to who you're dating is who makes you happiest. And sometimes if they don't like it, you don't need to share it. You share it once, you see what their reaction is and give them time to digest that. But you don't have to keep putting it in their face. You date that person and you enjoy that person. And as long as that person is making you happy, that's all that matters. They're not married to them. They're not dating them. So it's basically, as long as they're treating you well and you're happy within that relationship. Now, if your gut is telling you that's the wrong person Mm -hmm. and they're saying it too, now that's a different story between you that some things that you need to work on, but for the most part, you're living it. They get to go home. You get to live within that. So I think that you need to make sure that you've included yourself. You've communicated it. And now you got to, you have to do it for yourself. Okay, that's good. I don't want to get too far off topic, so maybe I might have to have you come back on <laughs> to talk to talk about to talk about that piece because I do hear that a lot. Where husband and wife, the, of course, they get along well, but for whatever reason, the family unit does not get along with this newer family member, the new husband, the new wife, or whoever. And then there seems to always be so much conflict between the two. And then you're trying to, it's almost now you feel conflicted because now you have this family that you've grown up with all the way up until the time that you've got married. Now that you've gotten married, you've established this new family 
And, you know, the word says that we are to leave and cleave. So you do what you're supposed to do with this new family, but now the original, and it seems like it becomes, it can become very difficult to navigate, or especially if, if you're trying to keep the peace or make sure that the relationship is amicable with that. So I've often wondered, hmm, how does one navigate that if the spouse that you choose does not really mesh well with your own family? How does how does that work? Because that sounds like that could be complicating to me and a whole nother long topic. <laughs> that is a whole nother long topic. But with that, I guess I could say really quickly, most of the time those things happen in the beginning. You would know those in the beginning unless an incident happened and you know what that incident was that changed that relationship. And then, like I said, another topic, you would have to address those issues. (laughs) Back to the boundaries. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, we did loop it back in, back to the boundaries. And this has been a really good discussion. Was there anything else that you wanted to add just about the transitioning of just the relationships between parents or child or anything that you feel like we missed in this? No, I think we have everything. Just always remember that your parent most of the time comes from love when they are trying to guide you as well as you coming from love to help them and to stand up for yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has definitely been a wealth of information in it, at least for me, I at least know that I need to start having the conversation with my parents and making this more commonplace. Well, I've already started speaking up about my boundaries, but there's that. But even just as far as the transitioning and how to navigate it and navigate it well so that it's not so turbulent, I definitely think this is a good place for us to start, especially I think with this pandemic opened our eyes a lot too because things can happen and change so quickly mm-hmm. that we don't we can barely keep up with it so I do think that it's good to have these conversations up front then you don't have to have them on the back end and just be kind of lost in the sauce or kind of butting heads now because it's like your parent are like no 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 first of all you're still the child who are you to tell me <laughs> who are you to tell me what to do <laughs> Well, I think, too, that if you have it in bite-sized pieces as you're driving down the road, ask them that one question and not make it a whole um, discussion where you're sitting them down. They can tell you a couple of things, you know, mom or dad, how would you like me to do your checking account? Or do you think that maybe we should be one one together? That kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Small bite-sized pieces as opposed to sitting them down and overwhelming them with too much information. That's good. That's good advice. Small bite-sized pieces. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one last thing, if you could say something to your sister about a transitioning relationship with her parents, what would that be? If I could tell my sister anything, I would tell her, know that you are loved, trust your gut, live including yourself. Make sure you are a priority and do what makes you happiest. All right. That is all very good information. I definitely think that's something 
even something that I have to continue to practice daily, especially that part about trusting our gut, because sometimes we always look for validation in outside sources, but we always know the answer. We're just looking for someone to say, yeah, so you can say, oh, yeah, that's that's what I knew. That's what I knew anyway. You only need to validate it yourself. That's it. Yes. All right. The rest is confirmation, right? Exactly. Confirmation. And that is all that we need because we had the answer in the first place. Yes. Diana, thank you so much again for coming by A Letter to My Sister podcast. It was such a pleasure. And I will definitely be telling the good people how they can link up with you, how they can follow you on social media and just get to know more about you and maybe even sign up for some of your services if they need help in this transition phase. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I absolutely loved this conversation that I had with Diana. And I think that is just so important because these are the topics and things that we need to discuss early on instead of waiting until it's too late or waiting until there's some kind of emergency or tragedy before we have these discussions. So I hope that you were able to take some key points and some really good notes on how we can start having these conversations, not only as we get older, but then also as our parents start to age as well. So we know what to do beforehand. So let me give you some more information about Diana. She is characterized as the one that people gravitate towards for her advice and her ability to hear them. She is a certified life coach as well as a certified integrative nutrition health coach. Her education and training builds upon her coaching arsenal. Diana uses her self-method to help women intentionally strengthen relationships not only with themselves, but with others, empowering women who find themselves asking, what about me? She has an innate way of understanding people and their needs. Her ability to individualize and personalize their experience creates a comfortable and open environment for expression and communication. Diana's clients confirm she makes them feel like they're the only clients that she's working with. She currently lives in Texas with her loving husband of 23 years. Their happiness continues as they continue to support and enjoy their two college-age children. If you are looking to reach new levels, achieve those goals, motivation, encouragement, mentor, navigate that tough transition, find your voice, and stop being a people pleaser, definitely you want to reach out to Diana. And I am going to leave all of her information in the show notes, but you can find her on Instagram at Coach Diana Copeland. And you can also find her on Facebook by the same name. And I will leave her website, email, and all of the handles into the show notes. All right, sis, there is no one like you. There is no one out here that can do the things that you do. So show up, let your light shine bright, and never dim it for anyone. Until next time, bye.